Hey, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 210, Passengers Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Time once again, Derek, for a newer movie, something from the millennial or even maybe the Gen Z generation. And then, Derek, we can obviously thank you for this one because we're going to be taking a look at the 2016 film Passengers. But before we get there, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Well, after many weeks of not watching very many documentaries and watching a little bit of everything else. This week, I watched three documentaries. Three? I think we... Okay, no, our producer's saying he's only going to play it once. Okay, good. 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. It's a three-for-one documentary this week. What have you got? Yep. You love your documentaries. Okay. I do. Okay. So um, I'll start with sort of the more obscure and get okay. to, the, to the really big one. So sure. the, one for, the older one that I watched is actually only from a couple of years ago. And the documentary is called Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. Not to be confused oh. with Never Surrender, the Corey Hart song. Right. Or the Never Triumph Surrender. song, for that matter. Yes. So because I know I don't think you've seen Galaxy Quest, but the whole shtick is they've got the, the line. I did. Never, I did. I, did. Uh, I actually saw that movie. It, it was in 97 that came out and I went on a date go see that movie not with my wife it was some girl i was seeing at the time and i didn't i don't know, i didn't really care for it i thought it was kind of weird but i know you like it yeah so um actually a few months back i was a guest on the um on the uh cinema, cinema nine, nine podcast, podcast. yeah, yeah. michael Gold. and um yeah so i i had a chance to it was episode 89 from december of this year and i had a chance to talk to them about galaxy quest they asked me to pick a movie and i wanted to pick something we hadn't done on our podcast so uh, we had a good chat about it. And, um, so I saw this documentary in the lineup and it came out last year, the year before. So galaxy quest came out in 1999. And so I guess in 2019, it was the 20th anniversary. So that was what the podcast was a 20th anniversary sort of retrospective. And they had, they interviewed absolutely everybody. Well, except Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Alan Rickman, who's no longer right. with us. But everybody else in the cast, the directors, the writers, the producers, they talked about all this behind the scenes, a lot of who they might have cast and who they wanted to cast. And I didn't know that Harold Ramis was signed on to be the director until like the day before they started shooting. All this behind the scenes info, a lot of very candid stuff. And um, it was great. I mean, if you enjoyed the movie Galaxy Quest, uh, this this documentary is on Amazon prime and uh, it was great it runs about 90 minutes and it was from just a couple of years ago it was really really good uh if you've seen the movie and you enjoy the movie i think you really enjoy this uh, documentary so that was the first one okay second one so then i got two brand new ones oh one, nice uh, one 
One was from Netflix, one was from HBO. They both just dropped this week. So the one on HBO was called Beanie Mania. And it's about, remember Beanie Babies? Oh, yeah. Beanbag animal things? Yeah, like in the 90s, right? In the 90s, yeah. People were buying them and they were like buying them for five bucks and reselling them for hundreds or sometimes thousands of dollars. Some of them were like limited edition and all that crap. Yeah, Yeah. it was this huge phenomenon. And uh, so the, the... documentary is all about the rise and fall of the beanie babies and how uh it was a speculative commodity and people were buying for investments and how people were then manipulating that market and how the guy who owned the the brand was like not paying his taxes and skimming millions of dollars it was all sorts of craziness going on and uh it 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 was really really good it was way better than it had any right to be given that it's about beanie babies but it was good it's on hbo if you have the chance to check this one out it's called beanie mania Really good. Highly recommend. Cool. And then the third one, uh, again, brand new, just dropped on Netflix uh, last week. It's called Downfall, The Case Against Boeing. So we're talking Boeing, like Boeing 747 airplanes, the Boeing uh, Aerospace Engineering Company. Right. And it's this this, uh, expose where it talks about how back in the day, Boeing had this stellar reputation for, for quality and for, um, you know, the Boeing name meant something. And you knew when you were buying a Boeing airplane or you were traveling on a Boeing airplane, like there was this, there was a quality, there was, there was assurance, there was this reputation that came with it. And then in like the eighties, they sold the company or it got bought out by somebody else. And it then became all about profits. They started cutting corners and they started, you know, firing people who would say like, I don't know if this is as safe as it could be. And then there were planes started being plane crashes and it turns out Boeing was doing some shenanigans behind the scenes and they were cutting corners and it literally cost people lives. And so then they were sued and it's just this whole, uh, up and down about like, uh, no pun intended about just the Boeing brand name and the, the callousness with which the, the executives want were, were more about profits than passenger safety and got to a point where even pilots were like, we won't fly these planes. They are not safe. And it's like when pilots are telling you your planes aren't safe, that should be a pretty loud message. <laughs> no but anyway, again, it, it was pretty good. Um, like a lot of these documentaries uh, where it talks about a corporation, they really villainize the Boeing corporation but they, they provide a lot of support for why they villainize them. Whether or not everything is 100% accurate and whether or not there's a second, you know, they always say there's two sides of every story. We don't really get the Boeing side of the story, but it's pretty damning what we do get. And so you can kind of expect what Boeing would try to say to get out of it. Like, I fully believe that the, the story we got in this doc is pretty accurate. Um, I don't really think there's another side to this one that was worth getting into, but it's just something you always got to keep in mind when you see these types of things is what are they not telling us or what would the people on the other side say if they had an opportunity to sort of uh, repute uh, what's being brought brought to the light. But anyway, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so again, three winners for me this week, nice. all documentaries. Never Surrender, the Galaxy Quest one is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Beanie Mania is on yep. HBO. And the Boeing one's called Downfall is on Netflix. They're all available. Easy peasy if you got the streamers. Nice. For me, Derek... I also watched a documentary and I got to tell you, it just wasn't any old documentary. Oh no, it was one of Derek's documentaries. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Four documentaries at the top of the show. You knew we had to play that song again. Nice, uh, nice. Is it one of the ones I just talked about or is it something from a previous show? It was maybe 
two or three weeks ago, uh, you mentioned a documentary about the Canadian rock band Triumph called Rock oh, and yes. Roll Machine. I think they should have called it yes. Magic Power. But anyway, that's just me. Uh, yeah. Now, you love documentaries. You know, we've got this whole song thing going on and everything. But, you know, I like them too. And I have seen a lot of documentaries over the years. This one might be one of my all-time favorites. It was wow. awesome. Like, it was fantastic. So so thank you so much for your recommendation. I, otherwise, I wouldn't have even known it existed. You know me, I'm stuck in the past, so I don't even know anything new comes out. So just a little bit of background on this. So I've mentioned before, when I was a teenager, I was a metalhead. But my favorite band when I was growing up was Triumph. And like the thing with me, and Derek, you know this all too well. I like what I like. You know, that's just the way I am. You know, I just have my own tastes on stuff and it's the way I am. And I just really liked Triumph as a teenager. Like, I liked them a lot. And I was the only person that I knew at the time that liked Triumph. And everyone was always saying to me, like, they'd be like, why do you like Triumph so much, man? Like, they're not really heavy metal. They suck. And I was always like, just screw you guys. Triumph rocks. Like, they are the best. And I always felt like people were missing out. Like, they just didn't get it for some reason and I don't know it was, I always thought it was kind of confusing to me how people could not see the genius of this band and so I kind of made Triumph my band you know and their songs were always very inspirational they're very positive songs and they totally rocked like Rick Emmett was basically the reason why I picked up a guitar when I was a teenager and, and I was really really I was lucky enough to actually meet him one time when I worked at OP back in the 90s, that's when you and I first met. Um, when I worked there, we actually shared a dressing room facility with all the musical artists that would come in. And and then also my wife took me to go see him with his new band, Revolution 9. But I mean, it's, he'll always be a triumph for me. So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for, for putting me on to this one, Derek. It was fantastic, man. It was so, well, so good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it, it, I got, uh, so I, I after the show, Mm-hmm. That when I spoke about it the first time, I got a message a few days later from uh, from our friend Greg Martin, who's appeared on the show, a good friend of mine, and he's a big music guy. He was on the show that he was on with us. We talked about music, and he messaged me, and he said exactly what you said. He goes, I, I like music documentaries. I've seen a lot of music documentaries. I may not have sought this one out if you hadn't recommended it, but he goes, I loved it. I thought it was great. And he pointed out to me that I didn't know the guy who directed this documentary has done like eight or nine other music documentaries, including he said there was a really good one he did about Rush a few years ago. And he's like, you know, okay, man, I know you're a big fan of Rush. And he's like, I know you love documentaries. And he's like, if you thought this Triumph one was good, he goes, make sure you check out the Rush one. So, so when you've got a director that specializes in this kind of storytelling by the ninth time around, you got to think they're getting pretty good at it. So I, I, I think it's a combination of how much we enjoyed the band and the story and the legacy of it. But I think it's also that the people putting the the documentary together clearly are talented folks that have had uh, a fair amount of practice doing it. So yeah, it's just all the right pieces came together for this one. For me, Triumph just kept getting better and better and better and better. And that's pretty rare because a lot of bands, like, you know, a lot of bands, they peak early. You know, they'll come out with a really, really cool, you know, debut album and then there's nowhere to go from there, right? And then they just kind of like try and find themselves or try different things. But Triumph just kept getting better and better, man. They were so good. Um, Oh, here's something I got for you. Here's your dad joke of the week. So I was thinking since we're doing uh, Passengers this week and it has to do with like, you know, space travel 
you know, I thought I would do kind of a space dad joke for you. I tried to, I tried okay. to keep it related, you know, as much as I can. Okay, so Derek, we're gonna get this one bleeped out, or is this a family friendly joke? No, this one's this one's family friendly. It's not like a dirty okay. dad joke. Like sometimes I go there. Okay, so Derek, why do people not like the restaurant on the moon? I have no idea. There's no atmosphere. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Not one of your better outings, man. <laughs> that was a good one, man. I like that one. <laughs> Bang! Zoom to the moon. Roger Moore is James Bond. I think it's really funny that you can say octopusy, but you can't say, hey, this is not cool. I was a real nerd. No kidding. Here's a song. Here's a song. Here's a song. Oh, stop playing that damn <laughs> Stop it. I was like, oh my God, what's going on here, dude? Your wife has got great taste in pop culture. They're definitely phony baloney, but you just have to accept them. I mean, she's no Ryan Reynolds. This is what's big now. Back in the day. You can look at me all you want, but you're not touching me because you're a gross old man. All right, my friend. This week, it was your choice uh, for a more recent movie. You know, and uh, that, that that's your job around here. You're supposed to educate me on, you know, the great pop culture of today and everything. So uh, you had me watch the 2016 film Passengers uh, starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. So maybe you can kick us off here, Derek, and just tell us a little bit about why you wanted me to watch this movie. Sure. So when this movie came out, mm-hmm. I saw the trailer. I, I don't usually watch movie trailers, especially if it's like uh, for something that I'm already familiar with the franchise, like comic book movies. I never watch the trailers. I'm going no matter what. But this is this was original idea. Well, loosely original. It wasn't based on previous intellectual property. It wasn't a remake of an old movie. It wasn't based on a book. It was original. So I was like, okay, watch the trailer. I thought, oh, yeah, that looks decent. I like Chris Pratt. I like Jennifer Lawrence. I like uh, Mike, uh, Michael Sheen, Martin Sheen. Um, Anyway, uh, so we uh, we go and see the movie in the theater, and I'm like, oh, it was it was pretty good. I mean, it had its ups and downs. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the best movie in the world, but I found it entertaining. I felt I got my money's worth. And the next week, the reviews were awful. It got panned across the board. Everyone's like, oh, it's too hokey, it's too cheesy, uh, so unbelievable, blah blah blah. Although it did get a lot of praise for some of the special effects work. Anyway, it 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 sort of was considered a a mediocre movie. It didn't do a tremendous amount of uh, success financially. Uh, I know internationally it ended up recouping a lot of its money, but I think, and I know you always have the stats in front of you, but I think it pretty much broke even in uh, North America. So it was not considered a hit. Um, but I've since watched it a couple of times uh, on streaming since since 2016 when it came out. And it happened to be on last week on one of the channels. It wasn't even on the streamers. It was on just like regular TV one night. I had nothing else to do. And I thought, oh, You know, the first half of this movie, I felt is really strong. I felt the second half not as strong as the first half, but I thought, well, you know, it's late at night. I'm probably going to fall asleep anyway. I'll watch the first half. And it turns out I watched the whole thing. And I forgot how much I liked the parts I liked. But really what struck me was we've just lived through two years of a pandemic where most of us have been in tremendous isolation. In many cases, people have been alone or they've been alone with just their spouse or partner. And... For, for months at a time, for years at a time. And with that life experience behind me, hopefully behind me, going back to watch this movie again, which really, in order to sort of hit the right stride, you really have to feel the isolation of the main character for the first half an hour of the movie 
before he decides to make the decision he makes to to wake up Jennifer Lawrence, and then now you've got the two of them. I mean, you can't really be in isolation if you're by yourself, but the two of them are now alone on this ship, in theory, for the rest of their lives. And looking back on it now, having lived through this real-life isolation of the pandemic, I think I got a lot more out of it this this time around than I than I ever did in the past. And I found I actually enjoyed it a lot more. Like I liked it the first time, but I really liked it like just this most recent time. So with that in mind, I wanted to get you to watch it. I, I honestly have no expectations about like, I figure you're not going to really care for it, but I'm kind of hoping that there's enough there and that you also having lived through the isolation of the pandemic, of course you get two young kids, but just this idea of being alone and not having the support, how that might, um, frame this movie for you in a way that had you seen it five years ago, you probably wouldn't have been able to relate in the same kind of way. So with, and, and that's sort of where I'd like to bring some of the discussion. So that in a very large nutshell is why I wanted you to watch it. So what did you think? Um, <clears throat> I, I thought it was sort of style over substance, I guess is the best way I can kind of describe it. I thought it was, I kind of agree with the critics on it a bit. Um, before we get into that too much, you, you mentioned about the, the numbers. So it, 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 it cost $110 million to make this movie. Um, so it was, it was quite a technical looking movie too. I thought, um, it, it didn't make its money back domestically. It only made a hundred million dollars at, at the domestic box office. It did make it back worldwide. Um, so it, it finished 59th let me just take a look here finished 59th at the box office the year it came out now that's a little bit skewed because i mean it made it only made 55 million dollars in 2016 because it came out in december 21st so it ended yeah, up making it came out on christmas million. so so it got passed that year by uh, such luminary films as neighbors 2 sorority rising my big fat greek wedding 2 and boo a medea halloween <laughs> so my, they should have called my big fat Greek Greek wedding to my big fat Greek wedding to electric boogaloo. That would have been better, I think. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, okay. So going into this movie, I, I want to explain kind of some thoughts that I had. So first of all, I tell my wife we got to watch this movie Passengers, you know, for the podcast, and she's like, "We've already seen this movie," and she's like, "Derek or Yancey's already made you watch this one." And so I, I actually had to go back on our website and, and go through the list of the, the episodes that we've done just to be sure. Now, it turns out that we never did this for the podcast, but but it got me thinking and I was like questioning myself. I'm like, had I already seen this movie? Like I started thinking about it and then just this idea of Jennifer Lawrence and she's waking up in space. And I I thought this, this sounds kind of familiar to me, actually. Maybe I did see it, but when I sat down and watched it, it turns out I didn't. I, I, once the movie started, I knew, I, I realized I had never seen this before. So one of my first thoughts going into the movie was, you know, oh, oh man, here's another dystopian future movie. Like, I don't, what is it with you and Yancey and these dystopian future movies? You guys really like these kind of things, eh? This isn't a dystopian future movie. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, they have to leave Earth because Earth is crappy or something like that. And they got, I don't know. I just, that was never established in the story. No. All right. Well, whatever. Um, I will say I was pretty stoked about watching because I, I love Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she is just absolutely the greatest thing. I I absolutely think she's great. She She's beautiful. She's talented. She seems like she's like normal. Like she's like a decent person in real life, it seems. Like, I mean, I'm, uh, I don't know. But uh, and I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I call her J Law. 
So that's what I'm going to refer to her as. Um, but like I say, my wife... Like the, like the kids say. <laughs> exactly. She's fat. P-H-A-T. Like the kids say. Uh, so yeah, she's they haven't J-Law. said that in 20 years, but... <laughs> that's what my son always said to me. He's like, no, nobody says those kind of things anymore, Dad. I'm like, okay, good enough. Uh, but yeah, my wife, she just kept saying, oh, we've seen this. We've seen this movie. Um, I, I don't know what she was talking about. Maybe she got confused, and this is a movie she went to see with her boyfriend on the side or something like that. I don't know. I should maybe take a look into that, Derek. I don't know. But she insisted she's seen it. But like I say, it was it was new to me. Um, so right from the get-go, I will say, the movie is absolutely stunning visually. Yes. Like, both the special effects and J-Law, for that matter. And Chris Pratt. Right. Don't I'm forget him. That guy's a real looker. Cleans up his act a little bit. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he's no Matt Damon. Matt Damon. But I mean, like, Chris, Chris Pratt's like, he's pretty hot. No doubt about it. Uh, the scene. Well, and he, he was, he was just recently, like around this time would have been doing Guardians of the Galaxy. And I mean, right. if you get cast in a Marvel movie, you know, you got to look like the, you got to look the way the comic book characters are drawn. So this was when he like was, got into shape and got all buff. And he was in like the Jurassic World movies and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a pretty big thing there for a while. That that this the one scene when when he's in naked in the shower, and my wife is like, "Man, he's pretty hot." And I'm like, "What do you mean? You get to see that kind of a hot body coming out of the shower every single day? You know, I'm I'm practically Chris Pratt's twin for crying out loud. It's like, it's like watching this movie is like looking in the mirror for me." You know, but <laughs> are you drinking again, Chris? You don't usually start drinking till after we finish recording, but as long as you're having fun with it, bud. Jeez. I don't. Know. Why does my wife have to go to the go to the movies with other guys when she's got me at home? Like, I mean, jeez. So, oh, anyway. I get it. You're still doing dad jokes. Okay. Yeah, I get that, it. I get that's it. why. So, the movie, like I say, it looks great all around. You know, but I just kept thinking again, like it's 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 feels like style over substance the movie feels a little bit empty it actually it feels a lot empty and i gotta be honest i found myself kind of checking the hockey scores instead of watching it half the time except when j-law was on the screen of course but when it was just chris pratt i'm not watching i can i just look in the mirror if i want to see that for crying out loud but um it's funny you mentioned the, the part about the isolation like i didn't get that from the director i didn't I didn't really feel like he dug into that enough to really, really give that sense of isolation that I was looking for. I don't know. I mean, I know it's it's there, but it didn't grab me emotionally. That was my take. But I think, and th- that I think is what was one of the big critical uh, uh, things that critics latched onto when it first came out. And, and I, to a certain extent, would agree with that or did agree with that. But I found that when I just rewatched it, I actually... I felt it was it was done very well because I thought of my own experiences of being locked in for the pandemic. And it's like at first there's the the emotional, uh, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm upset. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going on. There's this fear. There's this. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is the world coming to an end? Uh, am I stuck at home forever? Uh, do I have enough food? There's the fear of like, you know, the whole thing where he goes to the food replicator thing and he's like, I want a, a special specialty coffee. And they're like, you didn't pay for that. All you got is black coffee. And, uh, you know, again, it's I could relate to that because when the whole pandemic started, it's like certain things were now scarce and and you had this hard time finding supplies. And then through the course of the movie, it's like at first he's really uh, driven. I'm going to find a solution to this. I want to I want to do what I need to do. And then he gets to a point where he sort of gives up. I'm going to stop. I'm going to just eat and 
drink and get fat and grow a beard and not clean myself and not put pants on. And I got to admit, that was me during the pandemic for a few months, as it was, I think, with a lot of people. And so, again, I could really identify with the stages of how they showed this character once he realized this certain reluctance, this acceptance of, oh, well, it's never getting any better. I'm just going to give up and, and indulge. And then he gets motivated and he he decides that, you know, maybe the thing to do is, is potentially to wake up Jennifer Lawrence's character. And so he's not alone. And that motivates him. He starts to get in shape. He starts to clean up his act. He starts to, you know, he, he, he moves into the nice room. He, he does all these things to start to better himself. And, and again, I, for me personally, during the pandemic, that's what I did. After a few months, it's like I put on some weight. I wasn't happy with the way I was looking. And it's like I started exercising. I started eating better. So I really felt a kinship to this character because I had lived through something like this. And when I watched this movie the first time, I didn't have any of that frame of reference. And that's why I really just felt the movie was so much stronger this time around. Mm. That's an interesting alleg allegory to make. So I think I, I will give you that. You know, that's. That, that is that is something um, much like my doppelganger, Chris Pratt. I also grew a beard just like you did uh, at the mm -hmm. beginning of the pandemic. So I guess, the, you know, there's that um, another thing that I have in common with him. Um, so, so like you say, he, so he lives alone for like a whole year and then he tries to keep himself entertained. And he's got that android bartender for companionship. And then there's a scene where the bartender tells him, you know, live a little, I think is the way he says it. And so he goes out and does stuff like bungee jumping out into space you know and then he just he's had enough right so he, he like contemplates suicide and then he sees j-law sleeping in the capsule and of course you know she's gorgeous and he wants to wake her up which brings up you know ethical issues you know so, so keep in mind yeah th these are kind of like dystopian future regardless of what you say it is but these are like That's science dystopian. fiction movie ethical issues but i mean regardless so like should he wake her up is it fair to her? You know, like she didn't ask for it, you know, you know, cause then she'd be subject to dying on the ship. Cause I mean, they were like 80 years away from their destination or whatever it was when they were going to earth Two, And it seems like a common thing in these science fiction movies to have ethical issues play out in the script. Doesn't it? Like that's yeah, a science well, that, fiction that's thing, right? That's good storytelling. That's yeah. going to happen in any good story. And sci-fi usually has good way, good metaphors with which to explore these kinds of things. Yeah. So, um, so he decides to open up her capsule, you know, which of, of course, like when he did that, like, I just thought, okay, this is setting up a totally predictable script. You know, it, to me, it just telegraphed the whole movie because it, after all, it's a Hollywood movie. So it has to go boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. That's the way the script is going to go. They all go that way. So you just know, you know, when he lets her out, she's eventually going to find out and that he woke her up and that'll be part of the script. That's when the boy loses girl in the second act. Um, mm. But one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, I made a note, at one point the computer is talking to him and it's it says no pod has malfunctioned in thousands of interstellar flights. So they've obviously done this before. Like when, when the story begins, when this movie starts out, mankind has obviously been sending people on these long journeys into space for a while at this point, right? But they don't really address yep. it, yep. you know, much more, do they? No, but they don't need to. I think they, it, it's just a, 
a detail they throw in to say like, oh no, it's, this is an impossibility. We've done this X number of times and it's been successful 100% of the time. And I think that's, that you know, it's this idea of this character is special because, well, he's the one in a million where the pod didn't work. Okay, well, that's why we're following his story because this is an anomaly to the expected outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I just like we're, we're, we're kind of coming into the middle of this story in the, the sense that they've been doing this for a while. They've been sending people into outer space for a while, I guess. Um, so, again, where I think the director kind of fails, he fails on one hand by not giving me that enough isolation feeling. Um, I also feel that he fails because they try to play this for suspense, but it doesn't quite work. The fact that he's he's obviously he's worried. She's going to find out, right? And, you know, that he woke her up. And I think at one point she comes up to him and she's like, like, why did you do it? You know, he, of course, thinks, you know, she's talking about waking him, waking her up. But um, I think she really says like, well, why did you sign up to come to Earth 2 or whatever? But I just, I didn't feel like there was enough of that suspense there in, in terms of, uh, you know, how it was going to play out. I mean, again, just me. But I don't think that was I don't think that was part of the story. I don't think that was supposed to be suspenseful. I never felt it was supposed to be a suspenseful part of the story at all. So well, I didn't if, feel. If, but, if, but if he I never felt up, it was supposed to be there, he wakes her yeah. up. You know, for a lot yeah. of selfish reasons, right? He's got to be worried. Oh my god! If she ever finds out, this is all over. This ends. Like she's gonna kill me. And so that's that's got to be playing on him. That's got to be feeding into the story. And if you are the director, if you're the scriptwriter, and you 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 don't pay attention to that, then you, you're you're not paying proper you know uh, you're not paying proper you know attention to the story. I think. But I don't think that that was I don't think that was the case. I don't think that he was worried about her finding out because I don't think he believed she was ever going to find out. I I never got a sense for a minute that he was. Um, had any fear of her finding out that uh, that he had done that. And so I, I, I agree that I don't think that's played up in the movie, but I, I think that was intentional. I don't mm. think that was a big, that's not where they wanted this story to go. Mm. Well, I, I think it should have been, it should have been a layer of the character. I think um, one thing I thought that was kind of cool. So she mentioned that she wants to go to earth too and just spend one year and then get put back into hibernation and come back to real earth. And I thought, that's kind of an interesting idea, actually, because she's basically she'll be transporting herself like 200 years into the future to see what Earth is like, you know, in the future, which I thought was kind of a cool idea. That kind of struck me. Yeah. And and this is sort of the counter argument to your dystopia. If Earth was so, uh, you know, problematic, then she wouldn't want to return. I, I, I don't for a second think there was any sort of dystopia going on in any part of this story. I don't think that's intended. I don't think that it's brought up. In fact, I think the narrative clearly contradicts that. So then I guess the question I have is why were they leaving Earth in the first place? I, they, they, they obviously they didn't address it. They didn't get into it. Like was, was like was it because Trump became president? The movie came out in 2016, right? I mean, if, if ever there was a reason to go into hibernation and travel 100 years to the far reaches of space, that would do it, I would think. But they they never like mentioned why are they leaving Earth? Like that's what I, I, well, I didn't I quite understand. She, like she asks him that straight up and he talks about this idea of a new beginning and a new start. So I, I think it's like, you know, you just look at Earth's history. There are there were times when people wanted to leave where they were because they felt they had a they could get a better life, a fresh start, uh, you know, leave their problems behind and and go to a, a new country or a new continent. Now, that's wasn't obviously always the case, but 
some people that was the reason behind it. And I think that was supposed to be, it's, it's supposed to be this idealistic, like people obviously paid money to do this. This was a choice. And this was something that only the well off had the option to do. Cause Chris Brad even talks about it, how his ticket was heavily discounted because he had a desirable skill set. And, but we've already seen how he really had to cut corners in, you know, like I mentioned before with the food replicator, he could only afford the bare minimum. And when unfortunately his pod stops working, he gets up, they're like, sorry, you get the, the nutrient biscuit and the black coffee. Cause you didn't pay for anything else. Cause you, you obviously didn't have a lot of money. So I, I think it's just this idea of this new beginning, people who wanted an adventure, they wanted to be the pioneers of this new world. And if your world is so technically advanced that you can do interstellar space travel, I got to think that you're not going to build a log cabin with, uh, you know, with an ax and a saw, you're probably got some pretty advanced technological ways of setting yourself up in this new world with very minimal effort from the outset. I think at, at one point she kind of says to him, you know, she's like, well, we're stuck here together. So what are we going to do? And he's like, I got an idea. And he takes her to this like video dance party thing. Let me tell you, if I was alone on a spaceship with J-Law and I look like Chris Pratt, which apparently I do totally, by the way, so it's all good. But if I was alone in space with J-Law and she's like, what are we going to do together? Video dance party probably wouldn't be number one on my list. I'm just saying, I can tell you that. Chris, women got to be wooed. Like, you can't just, <laughs> True. you know, what do you expect them to do? Denver Lawrence, I think we should go to this sweetened bone. Like, come on. It's a family film here. You know, he's got to he's got to convince her. He's got to like he's already in love with her. He's had a year to fall in love with her or the idea of her. She's just meeting this guy. So, you know, he's got to take it slow. He's got to let her decide that, yeah, you know, she wants to yeah. be with him. I mean, I would think regardless of how it plays out, you got one man and one woman. Eventually, you're going to run out of other things to do, and you're going to be like, eh, there's no one else here. Why not? But, you know, they, they that's not how they chose to play this movie. Yeah, one thing probably... that I, I, I want to just mention about the pacing a minute. So mm -hmm. we talked about, you had said that, you know, you would have liked to have seen a, a greater exploration of the isolation at the beginning. One thing I think is important to note is that Jennifer Lawrence got paid a ridiculous amount of money compared to Chris Pratt. Uh, because she was, and I think frankly is, a bigger star than Chris Pratt. Even though she's not in the movie as much, because you don't meet her until about half an hour into it. Mm -hmm. uh, you you pay if you're gonna pay her, like I think she got paid twice with eBay. I think she got paid twenty million, and he got paid ten million, or something like that. If you're gonna pay her twice as much as you're gonna pay him, uh, which I have no problem with, you don't want her character to only be in half the movie. You want to get her into the movie as fast as you can. And I think if I had to guess, that's probably why that isolation part isn't played out and doesn't take up more of the movie mm. because they want to get their bankable star on the screen as early as possible. And even when you first meet her in this movie, she's sleeping beauty under glass. She doesn't actually have any dialogue. And then he starts to watch the videos of her so you can start to hear her. But mm -hmm. until she can actually get out of the pod and start to actually act and interact with the movie, like a lot of time has passed. So. I think if there was a, a director's cut for this, and I'm certain there is not, but if there was, I think that would have been something that, that would have been interesting. To, like you said, to get another 15 minutes or so of Chris Pratt by himself to see him sort of go through the emotional stages of like, of isolation would have, would have helped a lot, I think. I, I think there was enough in there that you get the point, but I, I, I agree that more of that would have gone a long way. That's a good point, and probably another reason why the movie is flawed, because 
it, 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 it focuses on the wrong things, right? Trying to get the star on screen more as opposed to, you know, like really, you know, paying homage to the story. Um, so just going back for a second, how you mentioned how he's got a wooer a bit. And I think you're right because, you know, they, they do all these like things together. But the, the one thing that seems to really get her is when they go out on that sort of tethered spacewalk, you know, and it just like blows her mind. So I think obviously to win over a girl like Jayla, all you got to do is take her on a tethered spacewalk. So you do that, you're, you're golden. But uh, the other thing I couldn't help but think was I bet Jayla wouldn't make it with me if I were the last man on earth. <laughs> and that's pretty much what's going on in this movie. If Jayla and I man on a spaceship, though, <laughs> I know if Jayla and I were the only two human beings alive for 90 years together, I'd be getting nothing. I'm just saying, <laughs> even though I look like Chris Pratt in the shower, apparently. But uh, so, okay, so I have lots, of, I have some questions for you. I always do for these movies. Why does the bartender spill the beans? Like, other, th- other than obviously to further the plot, you know, and lead the script to that predictable second act that I was talking about. Why does he tell her? I didn't understand that. She she says something to prompt it because he had originally agreed not to say. And then uh, Chris Pratt's character says, we have no secrets because he had said, keep this secret from her. And then he'd said, we have no secrets, which oh. I guess in robot mind is OK. Well, then the previous request to keep a secret is no longer necessary to be a secret. And then she says something about. I can't remember. Oh, he's so excited right. about tonight. And then Michael Sheen was like, yeah, he's been planning this for a year or something. Okay, and she's that, like, makes what? that makes sense. Yeah. To me. Okay. I get it. Um, but yeah, to your point, it is, it is very contrived and you need that scene to advance the story. You have to, uh, yeah. you know, once, once the ship really starts to go crazy, it, if they were already working together, there would, you know, if you didn't have that conflict, it, you know, the fact that they are, are at odds with each other does just sort of add to the, oh, my God, well, they're fighting and now the ship is fighting against them. It, it adds layers to the story to try and make it more thrilling and entertaining. One thing I, I, I couldn't help but think about over and over in this was that, like, when she finds out from him that he woke her up, like, she just goes all out, you know, in the acting department. And you, you usually don't see that kind of acting in a movie that takes place on a space station. You know, I'm used to watching Farrah Fawcett in Saturn 3. Like, J-Law really commits here. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, she's been nominated for four Oscars and, and won one. Like, she's talented. She's yeah. good. That's part of the reason they wanted her in this movie is she's a big name. She's a big draw. She's exceptionally beautiful. She's exceptionally talented. And they know she can act. And much like a movie, uh, like, say, like Castaway, where you have Tom Hanks alone on screen for an hour. Like, you need a good actor to carry that or it's not going to work. And hey, all props to Chris Pratt. He's not nearly as strong an actor as Tom Hanks or Jennifer Lawrence. So you knew that if he, if they had him, to, if they decided like he's the, he's the male character in this movie, you knew that the female lead had to be someone who was a better actor than him. And they got that when they got Jennifer Lawrence. No yeah, question. I guess even Michael Sheen is a better actor than Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. I guess I just couldn't really get into the whole overacting thing. I felt like even when, when Lawrence Fishburne is there and he's dying, like it's, it's supposed to be all emotional and like a big moment and everything. And I'm just thinking, man, this movie's kind of dumb. <laughs> Maybe I just don't have any soul. I don't know. <laughs> so when he goes out into space and his, and his suit rips and like he freezes to death, right? And he starts to drift away. Totally remind me of the scene in Titanic when Leo freezes to death on, on that wood plank and then like sinks into the ocean. 
Spoiler alert, by the way, for a 25-year-old movie. Leo dies at the end. Sorry for that spoiler. And that was that was one of the big comparisons this movie got when it came out. Is they're like, oh, it's basically Titanic yeah. in space, but nowhere near as good as Titanic. Ah, and that's that's probably sense. an apt comparison, a fair comparison. The idea that you're you're you know you're on the in this case a spaceship as opposed to an ocean ship that is you know in theory destined for for destruction and you're you know you need to survive. It, it, there are definitely apt comparisons to be made there, but again, it is what it is. And like most science fiction films. Eventually, you're going to find that certain themes and certain stories and certain styles of storytelling are reused over and over again. And then it's just a matter of, well, what do you bring into it that's different this time than last time? And I mean, one of the things they bring to this, you already mentioned, is these spectacular special effects. But, you know, you would think when you got $100 million being thrown at a movie, it had better look good. And it does. No, it's visually impressive. Right at the end there, J-Law saves them, right? And then they fix the spaceship. And then the thing is, they realize that the pod that's in the medical bay there, it, it can be used to go into hibernation, but only one yes. person can go in it. So right. another question for you, Derek. So when she was resuscitating him after he froze in space, remember she pulled him back. And then when he came back to life, she, there was a scene where she crawls up on top of him, which by the way, would, res, would resuscitate anyone. <laughs> Even if you froze to death like a week before, J-Law crawls on top of you, you're back. That's the way it is. But here's the thing I don't understand. She, she When she crawled on top of him in that medical pod, they both fit in there. So I was thinking, why couldn't they both just go in the pod together and hibernate together for 90 years? Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess you could, it's definitely a good observation. And you could think that, oh, well, the pod's only specifically designed for one. If there's two people inside it at the same time, it won't work. Not that that's ever explicitly said, but I, I think that's a reasonable assumption. But the more the better question is, you've got a ship with 5,000 passengers and what was it, 80 crew members or something? You're telling me in a you only have one medical, like this is the medical office for the entire ship. Now I get that most of these passengers are supposed to be asleep for the vast majority of the trip, but they are also supposed to wake up a few months before they arrive. You don't think in those three, four months before you arrive, you're never going to have more than one sick person at a time. After they've been but hibernating sheer, for 90 yeah, years. Yeah. Just the sheer numbers True. of it. You would think they have, would have, like even in Star Trek, when you went to the medical room, they had multiple beds. The fact that- Not on the original have, series though. If you think about it, on the original series in Star Trek, it was the same thing. There was like Bones had that room, one bed. That was it. Just yeah. that one. Oh, well, maybe, and it wasn't even maybe a bed. It was just like this rock hard thing that came out of the wall. So- Oh, maybe that's a, maybe it's a, supposed to be a, an homage or a wink wink to Star Trek. But mm. that was my beef with this yeah, was, hey, point. I get you've got this highly advanced medical pod, but why do you only have one on a ship this size? Like that just to me seemed dumb. Uh, again, this is one of those things where a couple of lines of dialogue might have gone a long way. Not, But this is such a minor nitpick, like something mm. like. This is the, you know, when the when Lawrence Fishburne's character first opens him up and brings him into the medical bay, like he could say something like, oh, this is the uh, this is the pilot, you know, gener generation one new medical pods we're trying out on this journey. This this pod it's the costs only one that's accessible. Dollars. It's the only and one that's accessible one that's unless accessible. you have a medical pass or something like that or something, you know, yeah. like you could have just said, like, this is a new technology we're going to be trying out and we only have one on the ship or, you know, again. It's not because you, you mentioned that a lot when we talk about these movies, how these science fiction films, it just takes like one line of dialogue to kind of explain it all the way. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, feel, it feels like it was missing there because I, I thought about that. But that that's 
Yeah, that's the one thing that I keep thinking. Every time I watch it, like, again, I think I've seen this movie three or four times now. Mm-hmm. Every time, that's the one thing that kept coming back to me was, you really? How, like, look at the size and scope of this spaceship and the it's dollars huge. and cents that would have been massive. required. I just do not believe that their medical bay only has one of these pods. Like, that That to me just seemed a little silly, but whatever. Again, you watch some of the, you accept a lot of things. So. Yeah. Some of the arguments that we have in regard to the science fiction films feels a little bit like like what might go down on the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> like, they would argue this, too. Why is there only one medical pod in this whole ship? Yeah. Um, so, what would you rate this movie out of 10? I would say the first time I saw it, I probably would have given it a 6.5. But now that I've lived through a pandemic and and had this kind of isolation to a certain extent, I got to up it to maybe a seven. And I would definitely rewatch this again in a couple of years. Hopefully once the the pandemic has passed and things sort of go back to a a state of normalcy, I'd like to revisit this in a few years and see if I sort of have the same feelings or if by then the recency bias has gone away and I'm back down to a 6.5. But I would say as of today, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. I would, I would probably have given it a two but because J-Law is in it and also my doppelganger, Chris Pratt, is in it, I'll give it a five. So I'll give it right in the middle. It, it, it's a passing grade, but just barely. Now, you said you said your wife saw this. Did she enjoy it? Yeah, or I did think she, yeah, she seemed yeah. like, yeah, because I mean, because it's newer, she obviously right? remembered a lot of it. You told me you and she yeah. were talking about certain scenes. I mean, people generally don't have that kind of memory for a movie they didn't care for. But yeah, especially my anyway. wife. She doesn't remember anything. We watch it. We'll watch a TV show. We'll get done. And I'll be like, oh, what about that? Uh, that character in the first, you know, five minutes where she's like, who? I never remember that. But she remembered this movie. Like I say, I don't know. Maybe she went with someone I don't know about in 2016. I'm getting worried. Man, and I look like Chris Pratt and everything. Go figure. All right, let's have some fun with Caveman. So we're going to play a typical game that we usually play around here where I give you a year and a synopsis of a movie and you just got to tell me the name of the movie. You know, we need to actually like have a name for this segment because I do this all the time. We need a name. Oh, and and I, do, we, I do it as well. Yeah, this is yeah, we need a name. This is our and bread and butter. And we also need a song for this so i gotta work on that but put together a song okay. would you? so you and yancey both seem to love movies about space and space travel so this week hey. you know you're just gonna dominate the trivia this week so it's, it's an easy one okay so i'm gonna give you the year and the synopsis you name the movie that's it the common thread These are all science fiction no nope, okay all have to do with space travel okay he's simple okay right you're gonna kill it okay Start you with a super, super easy one. 1999, the alumni cast of a space opera television series have to play their roles as the real thing when an alien race needs their help. However, they also have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a reptilian warlord. Well, we talked about that one on the outset. That's Galaxy Quest. We mentioned that earlier, and you guessed it on the Cinema 9 podcast to review that one, so it's all good. All right, another one. Oh, boy, you're going to walk away with this one. 2015, an astronaut becomes stranded in space after his team assume him dead and must rely on his ingenuity to find a way to signal to Earth that he's alive and can survive until a potential rescue. Yeah, this is one of my top 10 all-time favorite movies, The Martian. Well, it does have your movie boyfriend 
Matt Damon. So you got that one. I've probably, probably seen The Martian 30 times. Yeah. No joke. At All least. Right. 2018. Sticking with the newer movies. You're going to like this. Yep. A look at the life of the astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. Oh, yeah. I saw this in the theater. This was, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with the name of it. It's got, it's got the, uh, the Canadian Ryan is in this as Neil Armstrong and the, uh, it was it called first man. Yes, it was called first man. Very good. Yes. I remember you mentioned on a previous podcast, you went to see that in the theater. Okay. Yeah. I did not like it. Ryan Gosling, right? That was Ryan Gosling was the actor. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. 2013, two astronauts work together to survive after an accident leaves them stranded in space. Wow. Uh, sorry, what was the year? 2013? 2013. 2013. Uh, I, I know the answer I want to give, but I'm not sure. I want to say it's gravity. You would be correct. You gave the correct I didn't answer. think, I thought she was all alone. I don't remember a second astronaut, but anyway. Yeah, it was George Clooney, there. remember? But I thought she was just, it was a hallucination. No, I didn't think no, it was really No, she hallucinated after he died. Oh, oh. She so been, that he was I, I only still ever there, saw but he, he had already died at that point. Okay. I only ever saw that movie once, oh. so I may have to revisit it. Yeah, you might have to. Uh, 1979. Oh, this is back in my, my era. A research vessel finds a missing ship commanded by a mysterious scientist on the edge of a black hole. Wow. Uh, is it just the Disney one, the black hole? Sure is. Told you you'd do well with this one. All right. We, uh, we, re- we rewatched that like about a year ago. Mm-hmm. It does not hold up <laughs> no. well at all. It is pretty bad. It wasn't even very good. It wasn't even very good in 79. My memory was like, oh, I remember watching this as a child and it was great. And then I rewatched it and went, oh, well, there's a childhood memory ruined. No, it, it wasn't even good when it first came out. Okay. 1997. A rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. Another black hole movie. This one from uh, 1997. I'm I'm gonna guess because I that was around the blockbuster times. So was it Event Horizon? Yes, it was. It wasn't much of a blockbuster, though. It was a bomb. I remember when it came out. Okay. Well, I just I just listened to a podcast where they were going on and on about how great that movie is. And if you go back now and watch it and it holds up so well and it's become this cult film, I'm like, really? I remember seeing it once, thinking it was dumb. And I'm like, I have to rewatch it. It was Sam Neill. Wasn't he in that one? It had Sam Neill. Yeah. And I think Lawrence Fishburne was in that, too. Yeah, might have been. Okay, 1979. Back in my era again. A renowned British spy investigates the mid-air theft of a space station and discovers a plot to commit global genocide. Yeah, that was that was the James Bond one, right? It was Moonraker. Told you you're going to do good on this one. Yeah. It's like, hey, Star Wars came out. Everybody do a space movie. Let's put (laughs) James James Bond Bond in space. space. We'll make money off of that. It can't possibly suck. (laughs) Jaws with all those teeth. Okay, 1983. The U.S. space program's development from the breaking of the sound barrier to selection of the Mercury 7 astronauts from a group of test pilots 
with a more seat-of-the-pants approach than the program's more cautious engineers preferred. Yep, the right stuff. 1985. A boy obsessed with 50s sci-fi movies about aliens has a recurring dream about a blueprint of some kind, which he draws for his inventor friend. With the help of a third kid, they follow it and build themselves a spaceship. I I actually watched this about two weeks ago, and I'm struggling with the name of the movie. It's got, uh, was it The Explorers? You can drop the the the. It's just explorers. Explorers. Yes, it it have uh, Ethan Hawke. It was, yeah, it was Ethan Hawke and and, and was River, it River Phoenix. Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. And neither of them was. were the star. They were like the two friends to the main kid who went on yeah. to do nothing. Nothing. Okay, now we're going back. 1968. A female Ooh, astronaut from the 41st century sets out to find and stop the evil scientist Durand Durand whose positronic ray threatens to bring evil back into the galaxy. Was that um, Barbarella? (laughs) Very well done. All right. Well, I mean, you threw Duran Duran in the title. Of course, I'm in the clue. Of course, I'm going to get it. All right. 1980. In the 31st century, a sexy blonde android helms the crew of a space cruiser on a mission to find the Blue Star. A mystical gem that holds unlimited power. Wow. God, that doesn't sound familiar at all. What was the year? 1980? 1980. I'll give you a hint. No, it's, no, no. Don't give me a hint. I'm going to okay. take a guess because I, I, this is the only movie I could possibly think it might be, and I've never seen it, so I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess Xanadu. No, Xanadu was about roller skating. No, no. Oh, see, Jeez, didn't know. I thought it was no. a science fiction movie. No, no, this All one right. was... Give me the clue. One, Give me the clue. What was the, the clue? The clue was it, it starred Playboy Playmate Dorothy Stratton. Who the hell's that? She was uh, in the movie no. Star 80. She was a Playboy Playmate of the Year, and her boyfriend killed her. She wow. She was in this movie. Uh, it's basically kind of like a send-up of Barbarella, which was a send-up itself. No? Wow. I'm sorry, what was it called? Galaxina. Galaxina. Never heard of it. All right, 1970, last one. 1977. This is a personal favorite of mine, by the way. When the first manned flight to Mars is deemed unsafe and scrubbed on the launch pad, anxious authorities must scramble to save face and retain their funding. So, an unthinkable plot to fake the mission is hatched. It's from 1977, right? Correct. Okay, I got it. Star Wars. No, no, Star unless Star Wars had. But you said it was your personal favorite. You yeah. can't deny that 1977 movie that's your personal favorite is Star Wars. So I think I got enough of the clues right that I should at least get a half a point. Did Star Wars feature O.J. Simpson? Because this one did. It's Capricorn One. Capricorn One. So never personal favorite of mine. I always liked that movie. I, I'm sure it would have been bigger if a little movie by George Lucas didn't come out in 1977 and probably mm-hmm. steal most of its thunder. Yeah, exactly. So next up, uh, we've we've got a little bit of vacation time coming up, you and I. Next week, uh, you're on holidays, and then I'm away for a few weeks. Um, I'm going to go meet Yancey, by the way. 
First time ever. I'm nice. going to meet him. In Does person. he know that? Or are you just going to show up? At no, his door? I'm just going to show up and knock on his door. He doesn't know I'm coming. We'll see. So we're going to be back in about three weeks time. So in the meantime, our producer sloth being the good person that he is, he's come up with a couple of best of shows. So, uh, you know, but when we come back though, it's going to be time for another pop culture fantasy draft. So this time it's over to me to pick a year to draft from. And as always, Derek, you and I each have to draft a pop culture team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick from a year in the 80s. And since it's my choice, we've already done, what, 1981, 84, 85, and 89, right? Yeah. I'm going to go with 1982. Just recently, you, uh, you sent me a list of songs from 1982. You were listening, I'm assuming you were listening to on Sirius yeah, they do the every week. They say this year, <laughs> this week from the, in this case, it was this week in 1982. Here was the top 40 countdown. So this nice. week's happened to be 1942. And once I heard it, I sent you the list because the number 40 song 82, was from Baba Doug McKenzie. Yeah, 1982 was from Baba Doug McKenzie. Yes, take take off. off to the Great White North was number 40. <laughs> featuring which Getty is, Lee. It's a top 40. Oh, nice. Featuring Getty Lee of Rush. Yeah. And then number one was Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band, which yeah. went, 1982 was one of my all time favorite songs. So. It, there was a lot to like on that on that list. Which there is was. I liked that list a lot. It was pretty cool. So I was 12 years old at the time, so I'm going to have some amazing nostalgic memories for this one, I think. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to take a, take a, about three weeks off as we can go on vacations, you know, here for the winter and get through our, our winter here in the in the, in Canada. And uh, then when we come back, we'll do the, the, the Pop Culture Fantasy Draft of 1982. But until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers. I want to say thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.